0: In the last, uh, I would say, 50 years in the Catholic Church, the idea of sacrifice plummeted, disappeared from lots of people's uh, uh, frame of mind or understanding of religion. Uh, And if you read Christology, for example, the uh, sacrificial uh, interpretation of Christ's passion, has given way to other approaches or it's been integrated in different ways. So there's been in a way a decline of uh, the use and the reference to sacrifice in many Christian minds, mostly Catholic, but I think we could say that many of the uh, Protestant uh, churches and confessions that had a very sacrificial understanding of the passion of Christ or of Christian life have also kind of moved on, um, for better or for worse, as we'll see uh, later. But there's also, uh, I think we need to put this this disappearance in perspective, it's linked to what had been before what I'll call, for lack of a better word, an inflation of the whole idea of sacrifice starting in the 16th century and onwards, uh, both at the level of Christology and at the level of uh, the understanding of penance and uh, in Christian spirituality, the notion of sacrifice had, you know, taken lots and lots of space. Uh, So at one point, you know, inflation, deflation, that's the way economy works, so I hear, but in the history of ideas and practices, Uh, it also comes up like that. You also had in philosophy a lot of people who spoke or did not speak about uh, sacrifice. Uh, If you open Spinoza, for example, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, in the ethics, the word sacrifice does not come up, nor the reality. And if it did, it would be under the uh, sad passions, things that you need to do away with. Uh, and not get into. Uh, not even in the tra- theological uh, the treaties on theological and political authorities does the idea of sacrifice really come in either. And when you open Kant's critique uh, and Kant's opus in general, and especially the, the, the work religion within the limits of religion, uh, religion within the limits of reason alone, you see in the fourth part the disappearance of sacrifice. Sacrifice is, in a way, an unredeemable, irrational understanding of religion that cannot be saved from Kantian critique. But as soon as you move to the 19th century, if you open Hegel, sacrifice comes up right, left, and center. Uh, on different topics which he will tackle, be it religion or uh, social problems, but also in logic with the famous concept of Hebung, part of which he uses sacrificial language to make sense of. Then you have, uh, and I see Keith is with us tonight, uh, our Danish philosopher uh, Kierkegaard, who in uh, Fear and Trembling has pages and pages on the sacrifice of Abraham uh, on Mount Moria, and this is why you have behind me one of the many representations that uh, Caravaggio uh, painted of it. We'll talk about it in the conclusion. Uh, so, reappearing of it. By the time you move to Nietzsche, sacrifice comes up again, but in a very negative way. You move a bit forward in time and you end up with a philosopher, sociologist, writer called Bataille, Georges Bataille, French, uh, who makes sacrifice the core element of what he calls interior experience or spiritual or mystical experience. And from him and because of him and of Kierkegaard, many postmodern authors, be Jean-Luc Nancy, Uh, or Derrida, worked on the idea of sacrifice in their philosophy. So whereas in many circles in theology and spirituality, the idea of sacrifice kind of disappears, in philosophy, after having been abruptly taken out uh, at the beginning of modernity, it came back and is still back with a vengeance. Okay. In psychoanalysis also, uh, one of the very important uh, Italian uh, psychoanalysts, Massimo Recalcati, has just had a book come out a few years ago against sacrifice. I'll quote him a bit later. Uh, He's very close to uh, Catholic ideas on the sacrifice, okay? Now, if we were to try and structure what are the ideas of sacrifice kind of running around, uh, you've got the very penitential aspect of sacrifice. The idea of penance as sacrifice, lent as sacrificing, okay? Then you have the more social, political ideas of sacrifice. You'll sacrifice yourself for the nation or for the liberation or for a cause. But at the heart of all these things, and especially of the Holocaust, is an idea that is very, very, very Christian, uh, but in a way that could only be applied to Christ. And you find that uh, it's in the Tertia Pars, when Aquinas is talking about Christ and sacrifice, Uh, he's quoting Augustine. And the idea here is that Augustine says, there are four things to be noted in every sacrifice, to whom it is offered, by whom it is offered, what is offered, and for whom it is offered. Okay, you've got these four elements that come together, and only in Christ are the to whom, by whom, the what, and the for whom united in one. In the rest, well, there's the one who's sacrificing, uh, and who can be sacrificing, uh, you for his pleasure or her pleasure. Uh, things that are bad will be sacrificed or given up. Uh, and oftentimes what is very interesting is that the for whom the sacrifice is offered disappears from the horizon. Sacrifice being becomes reduced. I will sacrifice Matthew uh, on the altar of my pride. Uh, So I'll sacrifice him, he'll be sacrificed, and uh, why, uh, what good will that bring about? Aside from my pleasure, nothing. Uh, So the for whom it's offered uh, kind of disappears. We'll have to say more about this later on as we go. Okay. Also, just before we get into Aquinas, I want to state very interesting thing. Christians, especially medieval theology, by the time it started to theologize and to exist, there hadn't been any knowledge or experience very much of, in in fact, sacrifices happening uh, around. There was mass, but the sacrificial aspect of mass was not thought of in the same way as it will become thought of in the 14th, 15th century. And the way the Catholics were reacting to some of Luther or Calvin's texts will emphasize that aspect later on. Father Tiard in uh, Irenicon has a a very interesting article on the history of the sacrificial aspect of mass uh, in that regards. So there was a major trauma in the late 15th, early 16th century uh, linked to the idea of sacrifice and the experience of sacrifice. It's when going to uh, what we would now call Latin America, the Spaniards discovered amongst the Mayas or the Incas human sacrifices, usually of young women. And it was a major trauma, not just spiritual, religious or theological, also political. Uh, if you work, uh, be it Victoria or even Suarez, uh, on the right of sovereigns to intervene in a another state, major debated question in that period, uh, because it was about, uh, can we really uh, uh, go out there and just destroy them and pillage them and take their gold? Uh, one of the main reasons always coming up is we've got to save the people who will be sacrificed. OK, so it's uh, it's a fundamental trauma. We, we don't want sacrifices. We don't want any of that. We've we're, we're done with that. We have no more temple where sacrifices offered the bloody sacrifices of animals and things like that do not exist anymore. Same thing happens with, in a way, idolatry. When they talk about idolatry, they talk about it oftentimes as something that is done away with. We don't experience that. And as we'll see, Aquinas will bring it in through the back door uh, in a very different light, I hope to uh, show. So this was the general uh, staging uh, to prepare what uh, we're gonna be hearing in Aquinas. And I think he's having something that is very different from what lots of people want to think sacrifice is about, and that can be very useful for today. So for Aquinas, Aquinas, the act of sacrificing comes up in his treatment of the virtue of religio, in the secunda secunde, in the annexes of justice, as you know, as part of an impossible injustice, impossible justice. We cannot render to God all of what God has rendered us or distributed our way uh, to start with. So we'll have, God will have to uh, be satisfied with much less. he will have to be satisfied. So the uh, answer goes, uh, Aquinas called Cicero, which is uh, typical of what he, Albert, and many uh, theologians were doing in those days, taking their cue from uh, uh, the Wikipedia of the, the time, called Isidore Sevi, uh, So you offer to a superior entity of some sort, sacrifices and ceremony, well, ceremonies and some types of ways of caring about it. So God will have to be uh, satisfied with that, okay? And yet, there will be a satisfaction and there will be some, a way of thinking that it's been sufficiently done. Uh, But when sacrifice comes up, with uh, it's not at the heart of religion, strangely. It comes about the external acts of religion, because the fundamental acts of religion are internal ones. Uh, The first one being not prayer like moderns wanted to do, but devotio, and I'll come back a lot to the idea of devotio tonight. Because Aquinas will take us there regularly, okay? So the core internal act of religion is devotio. The prompt will to offer oneself to God, to come forth towards God for others, okay? But sacrifice is in the external things. It's going to be there to express the devotio, and it's going to be there to excite the devotio, okay? But at the heart of it, it's a voluntary, deliberated, chosen, consented, prepared, commanded act of devotion. Okay? But once I've said that, and once we see that it's not the core as we think about it, he says, well, it's a universal of human behavior that has to do with some type of offering and some type of oblation. And he will treat that in the prologue of question 85, saying that there's oblation offerings, uh, tithes, and things like that, and sacrifice are part and parcel of that. And once he said that, he says all of these things, tithes, offering, uh, uh, gifts, uh, religious ones, they're usually very, very historically linked to customs they change and vary and things like that. Only for sacrifice that does he explicitly say that it is, I'll translate the Latin and then I'll explain, dictated by ratio naturalis. It's dictated by natural reason. Now, dictate here, we must be clear. Uh, and I don't know if any of you are teachers, but you've got to think as teachers. Dictate here, it's not the dictator saying, I say that this is the case. No, it's dictate to dictate has to do with dictation. You know, when you are at school, you give dictation to students. So that is what you repeat 12 times a sentence, emphasizing certain aspects of the word to make sure that everyone catches all the letters. Okay, so reason natural reason keeps as a principle to bring forth to the mind that sacrifices is sacrifice, not sacrifices, but sacrificing is a good thing, is a religious thing, okay? It's an offering to a superior, okay, that is clear, we'll be, say more about that a bit later, which is the fruit of a rational deliberation, a strategic one, okay? It's not loving, whatever. No, no. It's a strategic, rational reflection that comes from my having felt my personal defects, my infirmities. I'll work more on this uh, uh, tag. I felt myself lacking something. I've, I felt myself incapable or not strong enough to do well or to accomplish and bring to full fruition what I desire to do. I feel inadequate, okay? And we'll have to come a bit later because he's gonna qualify that a bit later, but I think it's important to say, we just don't get up in the mo- morning and say, oh, I have the intuition that sacrifices are good things, let's sacrifice something. No, it's a it requires a personal uh, reflection about your infirmities and The fact that you're not perfect, uh, you're not Mary Poppins, uh, most of you. Well, I am, but um, not the people I know, aside from me. But you see, you've got to have made that reflection, and that reflection can only come through meditation about yourself. So it's a reflexive gesture on your experience. And it's also about articulating and interpreting Your desires, I've just described devotio and oratio, devotion and prayer, as they're defined in the treaties of religion. So there will not be the sense of a sacrifice, you won't hear in a way the natural dictate of reason, until you've experienced yourself as uh, lacking in some way. That's the first part. But it's also a rational reflection, chosen, deliberate, to see that someone else around could be an appropriate help to give you strength or direction uh, in circumventing uh, your infirmities or affirming yourself. Okay. You want to come close to someone and that is what is at the heart of uh, sacrifice. Let me read the first, the beginning of question, question 85, article one. Natural reason tells man that he's subject to a higher being on account of the defects he perceives in himself and in which he needs help and direction from someone above him. And whatever the superior may, being may be, it is known to all under the name of God. Bad translation, but uh, it'll have to do tonight. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the nitty gritties of the Latin here uh, for the purpose of this conference. So, you look towards something else for help and direction, and whatever will offer that, you call it God. For those of you who have a bit of operatic culture, sorry I'm a nerd, uh i invi- uh, i invite you to go and listen to the long aria of Cervinetta in ariadna auf naxos from richard strauss the the long aria in the second act where she says to the prince to the princess who's very very depressed uh ah, men well, you get one you get two you get three and they dump you, or you dump them. And yes, yeah, it's, it's tragic, but it's not so tragic. It's more comic than anything else. But when I'm down, when I've just been dumped, or I've, I just have two, the next guy that appears, that will make me mute, in German, I'll take him for a god. And what happens in the, the rest of the opera is that Ariadna, the princess, very depressive, neurotic. uh, Some guy gets on the island, usually very fat because he's an old tenor. uh, And uh, usually, well, the Ariadna is usually also very fat. You know, think Jesse Norman. uh, And she thinks he's a god, okay? Anyone that can rescue you, help you out of something, you turn into a god. Well. Thank God we can move a bit away from that. But see, this is the basic idea. I feel insecure and firm, defective on some things. I look for help. And in order to get that help, there's subjection necessary. And by subjection is, in Latin, we had that in the previous English conference a few months ago or so, is you get close to someone. So they notice you, and you let it be known that you want some help. And in order to do that, well, like your cat, you bring a mouse. Some type of offering. And Aquinas is very clear that we do that, and we do that, there's a process of recognition going on that is not just religious as such, it's a human, social, political thing. And it's how God and sacrifices to God will kind of find their way in there, okay? So Aquinas, I don't know how much you know about him, but he usually goes slowly. So article one, sacrifice appears as what you will do towards someone whom you believe can help you achieve what you can't achieve on your own. And in that sense, you will want to, it's in, uh, to organize some type of society with that person. You don't want to adhere to that person. I insist on the ad. Uh, you want to be towards that person, turns towards, you bring something towards that person or that God eventually. But you see, it's part and parcel of a general, economy of signs and of I get close to someone or I get, I move away from them. And this is, I think, part of what happens when sacrifices go wrong, where where someone who's not really helping you asks you to give up something to them so that they establish their power because they need some recognition from you or from someone else. Okay? But Aquinas starts just with that, OK? There's all sorts of lords in this world. Uh, and the name God is often abused. OK, so once that is done, Aquinas can move on slowly. What will be offered? Well, what will be offered are... He mentions two things at first. Bread and wine comes together. Uh, and I'll say more about that in a minute. And animals. I will not say much about animals because that would be a whole conference on its own. I'd have to work on with you with uh, Aquinas's reading of the ceremonial rites of the Old Testament at the end of the prima secunde under the old law. Fascinating. I hadn't read that in a long time for this research, uh, but it's, a re- it's something on its own. Uh, so it starts with bread and wine, very Eucharistic and then the animals. And when it, he mentions the bread and wine, he explicitly refers to Genesis 14, to Melchizedek uh, offering uh, the bread and the wine after the war when Abraham comes. Okay, And he talks about this diversity of animals, and he says humans have done that, and he doesn't specify anything more. OK. But then, very quickly, when you move towards the ad secundum of that Article 1, He shifts the thing. No, 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 no. The the bread, the wine, the animals, they're secondary offerings. The real offering has to do with Christ and human beings offering themselves. Okay? So you see, we start with the idea, I feel, I interpret myself as being defective in need of help. I turn towards someone or something, and I will... Offer them something. So it's me, the individual, the person, who has to do that. Animal, bread and wine, will have to be related to the humans in one way or another, or to some other type of human uh, offering. Otherwise, they will not be of any use. Okay? When we move to Article 2, uh, he comes back to these... uh, Uh, bread, wine, animals, but he says basically what needs to be offered is yourself, and as part of yourself, uh, he specifies at first uh, the soul, and to make sense of that, he talks about the Latin expression, the spiritus contribulatus, Uh, it's a quote from uh, Jerome's translation of Psalm 50, the miserere, which means a broken spirit in English. Uh, But we've got to say a bit more about this contribulatus. Think a bit. If If what I'm bringing forth to God is myself, my soul, my having thought about my defects, my strengths, my need for help, it's not just about a theoretical thing. Contribulatus means to be oppressed, uh, torn apart, uh, intention. So it's a very emotional you that you bring towards God. It's not, uh, I said strategic earlier, but it's not strategic in terms of cold objective reading of things and of myself and of others, no. It stems from an experience of myself where I'm broken. Now, if we had much more time, and I won't have time to do that with you tonight, but you can mull over it until uh, uh, we get back to this question later on. What type of self understanding would want you to still believe that you can hope to get some help from outside and yet be a troubling experience and again this is where all sorts of perversions can come in you can work at hypochondriically destroying yourself oh i'm not good at that and then you move on in a very drama queen type i'm not good at anything i'm useless Blah, blah, blah. And uh, then the whole movement gets troubled. As for Aquinas, it's a, an act, devotion, remember, an act you choose deliberately because you think this is where your fullness of life lies, not multiplication of sadness and uh, breaking. So it's, if we were to go pastoral on this, it would be very interesting to see the type of discourses priests, others have given people, or pastors, or people give to themselves or to one another about their brokenness, okay? There can be an inflation there that I think perverts the whole idea of uh, what is at stake in sacrifice for Aquinas. So Aquinas moves on and he says, well, if you think about it, Uh, And we're playing with uh, Article 2 here. It is going to be about me. And think of it already. If what needs to be offered is me, and if it is a human act, not just the act of a human, it means I will be offering myself. It's a very active way of going things. So Aquinas will move from or something is offered passively, okay, like you bring the little lamb, Mary's old little lamb uh, there to be sacrificed, or you bring the bread and the wine, uh, and he'll prefer to that the martyr, the figure of the martyr, not because it's bloody and lions uh, need to be fed, but the idea there is there's a human agent, Choosing, accepting, consenting, entering in, being eaten by the lion, for the sake of God, as part of moving towards God, as part of an offering, okay? There again, plenty of perversions uh, could come up. When we move to Article 3, He asks, like he asked for all types of acts like that, is it an act of virtue? And the answer of course is yes. But as he's talking about that, he's gonna expand the idea of sacrifice even more before we move back to where we would feel more comfortable maybe about sacrifice. It needs to be something that is deliberately chosen and that cannot be left to my passions or the dictates of others. OK, it needs to be something that is integrated deliberately in one's life, chosen, OK, in such a way that when I turn towards God and I'm offering myself to God, it will never just be about martyr or something like that. It will never just be about, oh, let's offer this holy sacrifice of mass, for example, or let's offer animals. No, he'll emphasize without even mentioning what I just did, that any human act towards the other, caring for the other, can be turned into an offering to God. If I help a student, okay, to understand something of Aquinas on sacrifice, if I do it as part of my turning myself towards God for help, so that this person understands something because God knows uh, when I speak, not everyone understands. Well, that act of teaching becomes an act that is ordered and structured by religion. So it becomes part of my offering and act of myself. And there Aquinas goes back to what he had treated in question 81, article 1 and article 8 visiting the widow, helping the orphans in front of God is an act of religion because it's you do that, turning it towards God. But any other act that you do, I could be a politician working uh, towards establishing a just or just more just law for wages or something like that. If I do that as part of wanting to be closer to God, Offering that work and this engagement of myself so that others be preserved from evil and enjoy life. That's going to be part of offering oneself and of sacrifice for Aquinas. So you see the idea of sacrifice is very, very far from slaughters or knives on the neck of anyone. Yeah. And it's part of Aquinas' vision of devotion at the heart of religion. I offer myself promptly, readily, myself, my goods, my life, my body, so that others live. Okay. Never mentions Christ there. Okay. Now, what's the point of this? Well, the point of this for Aquinas is to insist on the fact that it is truly the act of a human. It's a true human act that engages everything myself my soul, that will be the devotional part, which he will call the true interior sacrifice, like oratio and adoratio. Then it's gonna be about, this is not just something that happens in my heart or between my two ears when I start to think about things. No, it needs to be inscribed, shown, manifested in my body, in the way I relate to others and to God. But also, thirdly, it requires the sacrifices of what he calls my goods, uh, which will involve liturgical sacrifices, but also when Aquinas insists again, sharing with others. Uh, If you go read uh, question 85, article three ad secundum, at the end, he'll say, uh, excuse my Latin, tertium est bonum exteriorum rerum, deco sacrificium offertur deo, directe quidem quando immediatè res nostra deus offerimus, mediate autem quando eos communicamus proximis procter So directly when I do offer a liturgical thing and indirectly, well, we say indirectly, it's mediating through what you give to the others, okay? But you see at all these levels perversions could come in. Okay, so we've moved from I get close to someone. I manifest this proximity and this need. It is about me needing the help. It's about me offering myself. It's about me engaging myself fully, soul, body and goods. OK. In a constant way. It's about doing that promptly. And I don't know if you have meditated on promptly uh, recently, but promptly means in a way that manifests itself, assured, often, quick. Okay, so that it is part of things people will see of you. This is what is at the heart of sacrifice. Okay, but this act, uh, this leaves open the idea of, well, we all know that sacrificing requires a sacrifier. Uh, so Aquinas is going to say, yes, 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 you're right. Uh, when you offer something, you've got to manifest it's being offered in a way detaching it from you. And that's a, that is what he calls to make sacred. Sacrificere, facere, sacrum, to make literally the sacred. And you do that by some type of sign on the, the bread, which you will break, eat, and bless uh, by the burning up of the animal. And when it comes to you and I, the contribulatio, the breaking up of your soul. And when we, if we were to go further into that, is breaking up the pride that makes you think you can do everything on your own. Uh, so, in that sense, that's kind of expected, and we say uh, that's all very nice, but we all know that every human group, in one way or another, at least until very recently, had in society a group of soldiers, a group of leaders, and a group of sacrificer priests, okay? It's the uh, Indo-European thing. Read uh, Dumézil or Benveniste, and you'll see that very clearly. And Aquinas says, yeah, yeah, there are people in in society that do that. And in the religio-christiana, in the Christian religion, you've got a priest like you had in the old days. They're not exactly the same. Uh, But what is interesting here for me to insist on is the fact that the priests will only be there to excite you to sacrificing yourself. The liturgical sacrifices, if you want, are cute, fun, uh, qualify them whichever way you want with more or less incense or whatnot, but they have no impact if you do not choose to offer yourself devoutly to God, okay? Uh, There's no magic is excluded there in that sense, okay? Uh, On the one hand, on the the second hand, on the second uh, moment if you want, it's not just me that is the real sacrifier, but the priest has to be sacrificing something that has a link to me. Remember we said sacrificing my goods, and if we had more time, and that would lead us to the Prima Secundae uh, on the old and the new law, what is it that I bring to God, concretely, that I can give to the priest so that he does something that will be life-giving? Okay, And when you move to, in this Article 4, you end up seeing that, Basically, and uh, Aquinas will repeat that on Oblastio and Thites, the priest's role is not first and foremost liturgical, if you want. There's that, yeah. It's got to get you into an exciting moment so that you want to uh, devote yourself uh, and you want to manifest it. But more than that, when I bring something of myself as part of my offering and my manifesting my offering, I usually bring something that belongs to me. But what will the priest do with it? Burn it? No. Stash it? Hoard it? Some do. Uh, but in fact, what they ought to be doing, they ought to be machines to redistribute to the poor. You've got that coming steadily in Aquinas' text. Again, in a way downplaying the temptation of focusing on the liturgy as being the core of sacrifice. No. it's you sacrificing, and what you're sacrificing is literally for others, okay? Now, enough of that aspect for tonight. The next point I want to make has to do with, I've talked about perversions of sacrifice. And uh, what is very interesting, I believe that when Aquinas is talking about superstition, He is talking about a phantasm of sacrifice that people have, where in vices, of course, we're not in the virtue anymore. Now, what do I mean? For Aquinas, superstitions are about two things. You want more power and you want more knowledge. And you're ready to turn right, left and center to whoever is going to give you the type of knowledge you want, when you want it, and the power you want. So instead of turning to someone else who's powerful and would know something and offering yourself to him, you're making offerings to that thing superstitiously. So that it gives you the power. So that you become strong. Okay, it's not the same logic first. Uh, And then you'll tell me where is the sacrifice? Well, Aquinas is uh, very clear. If you're superstitious, questions 95 and 96, uh, go read them. They're still very, very, very uh, at the core of lots of practices today. Dreams, uh, uh, charismatic opening of the Bible and seeing God speaking to you, tattooing the word Jesus on your wrist uh, as part of you devoting yourself and showing it. He's not very much into that, but at the core of superstition for him, both questions 95 and 96, so either the power or the knowledge you're seeking, he's saying what you're sacrificing is yourself, but you're sacrificing your capacities. God has given you reason, intellect, so that you can make sense of what's happening within certain limits. In superstition, when it comes to wanting more knowledge, Instead of thinking things th- through, through sorry, with the capacities you have, you'll much prefer asking a virgin to sac- slaughter a white rabbit with a silver knife on a full moon when the wind is from the south, and the rabbit hasn't eaten carrots in three days, so that you can read the f- liver of the of the rabbit, so that the sacrifice rabbit's liver tells you the future, okay? The time it's gonna take you to get the virgin, the silver knife, the rabbit that hasn't eaten the, the, the carrots, the full moon, the south wind, et etc. Et you could be thinking things through and not sacrificing yourself. Aquinas uses the same logic when it comes to power. You want to become passive and receive everything, but you're sacrificing in the process your capacity to do things, get involved. Okay. And you supplement that with more sacrifices of more rabbits or of more of your parts. And God knows through the history, uh, human beings have been very, very inventive as to what these excessive things can be that will give you the impression that you'll get some knowledge or some power uh, instead of you kind of doing things right with what you have. For better and for worse, okay? Again, second mention of an opera. Tristan und Isolde, Wagner, first act. Isolde is on a ship. She's been taken to King Mark uh, by Tristan. And of course, she, she's not very happy. And of course, Tristan killed her, her, her lover and she knows it and blah, blah. Uh, very, very tragic. So she says to her servant, can you please, uh, just before we get there, give me to drink uh, the potion of death? Servants, Brangian yeah. She changes that to the love potion uh, so that they fall terribly in love, but they didn't need that. They just kind of thought they were dying and because they were dying, okay, let's show in public our love and who cares, we'll be dead in five minutes. Well, it's gonna lead to a long, an unending second act, but that's not the point. But see, the idea is instead of Isolde tackling truthfully what life is about and saying to Tristan, "Look, uh, as I was uh, taking care of you, I kind of fell in love with you too." And but you see, I'm conflicted because you killed my husband to be, and that's not nice. But I still love you. Uh, so can we talk? So instead of that, you know, using reason uh, linked to passions. She ends up uh, wanting to sacrifice her capabilities for a potion and things like that. If you've got lots of time and you know German, go uh, watch the second and unending third act, The Agony of Tristan, Okay. So basically, what I'm saying is that in superstition, you're sacrificing lots of things. But mostly, what you truly are in terms of capabilities in order to avoid having really to subject yourself, come close to someone and say, I need help. You think you can conjure up the help on your own. Again, if we wanted to be longer, but I want to get to Christ uh, tonight, uh, we'd have to see how this is linked to anxiety and how anxiety for Aquinas is linked to the fear of death. Uh, Of course, He's not Heidegger, but you'd be surprised when you read on uh, anxiety and the fear of death, how close he might be or how some moderns have retrieved some things that were already in the tradition. Uh, But if you're under the anxiety of death, if you fear for your life because you feel so weak that you have no more capabilities, for Aquinas, this is already And inordinatio affectus, it's already a way of not being at one with who you really are and what you're really capable of. The better thing to do would be to have help uh, from others and uh, seek it from God, not from the liver of the sacrificed rabbit. Okay, so this kind of concludes a quick survey of question 85. So you see, it's an integral part of human being, but not religious in the sense we are used to it. He's not interested in looking at all the rituals and who sacrifices what, when, and the recipes, what uh, Dumézil called cooking for the gods uh, in a beautiful, uh, not movie, but it would make a great movie, but it's a, a book. He's not interested in that. That's gonna be his treatment of old law. And he'll go quickly on that. It's about, a human act, a human ethical act, that involves you from head to toe, inside, outside, and that inscribes you in a community of others for whom you should be caring providentially like God is providence to the others. Okay, It's part of Aquinas' idea that we ought to be providence one for the others uh, as part of the real uh, providence of God. Now this is the core of Aquinas' presentation on sacrifice. So you see, the bloody part is not very much there. Uh, It's out of reverence and to honor the other that I offer him or her something to get some help or offer it to God uh, if we're talking strictly religious thing. Well, when it comes to Christ and his pasio, his passion, there interesting things happen. Hey, those of you who know Aquinas, know that he's not a good friend of uh, Anselm and of uh, that whole tradition. So there's no mention anywhere at, until now. I never said anything about you need to sacrifice and there needs to be sacrifices to, in a way or another, uh, get in the good books of, the, of a god. No. Uh, in the introduction to his book, Recalcati, which I mentioned earlier, First uh, uh, two sentences. I'll read in Italian and I'll translate. Gli uomini per secoli hanno pratico riti sacrificali. Hanno offerto ai loro dei, esseri umani e animali per tlacarne l'ira e la violenza imperscutabile o per accettivarsene i favori. People have been offering sacrifices, ritual sacrifices, for centuries. They've offered human beings and animals per placarne lira to calm the anger and the irrational violence of the gods or to get a favor from the gods. Okay? That's the normal way of thinking. If you open any book on philosophy of religion and you look at sacrifice, Recalcati is quoting all of them. There's none of that in Aquinas. There's none of that in question 85 uh, about the ethical thing. I'm not doing that to get a favor of God. I'm going there because there is someone who can offer me what is needed for me to be with him. That's not a favor, okay? And there's no sense of any anger. Okay? So, in a way, Aquinas is a very modest v- of sobriety in his text when it comes to sacrifice. There's never in his text, together as a syntagm or working one with the other, the idea of uh, pain and sacrifice. Something which is current in all sorts of ways of uh, thinking. He does mention that Christ <clears throat> suffered a lot, but the, the, the real suffering of Christ for Aquinas has to do with the moral sadness, the, the, the pain of uh, seeing people not turning towards God. It's part of charity, okay? But they're not coupled, whereas in the West, In most traditions, definitely since the 15th century, a sacrifice needs to be bloody and painful in a way or another. If you don't feel the pain, you're not really sacrificing. You know, you've got those coaches who say to you, okay, one more, 10 more uh, push-ups until you feel the pain, you haven't really done it. Okay. Well, that's a secularization of a very uh, perverted way of seeing things from Aquinas' perspective. Okay. So it's very interesting to see that the pain thing, the suffering thing, doesn't come in line with sacrifice. And question 848, in which eventually sacrifice comes in, in the third article, comes after two other modes of offering something to us, for us, to the Father. Sacrifice is just one of them. The first one is through his action. Uh, merits. And because he's the head, we share in his merits and we'd be okay. Same thing with second. Has he done enough, very Anselmian? Has he suffered enough? Uh, Aquinas says, let's not spend much time there. He gets to article three, and this is where uh, sacrifice comes in. And it is very interesting. It's the only place in the Summa where he'll say the sacrifice is offered to appease God placarne, but not appease god's anger, bring to God the good that God wants, which is not the same thing at all, okay if you're angry at me and have I suffered su- sufficiently so that now you're at peace or uh, okay, I'll offer myself so that uh Your anger subsides. No. Aquinas says, no, I'm bringing to you a humanity that wants to be with you. That's what you've been looking for. That's what you've wanted. It's pleasing in the sense of I bring you chocolate. Not to appease you, but to do something good towards you. See, the perspective is quite different uh, in that sense. And there's no idea of vengeance there. Uh, And it's very interesting and very intriguing, this idea of appeasing that appears there. It's a hapax, okay? Because when Aquinas presents the passions of God, anger amongst them and things like that, the idea of God being offended is present. But what does it mean? Is the only way of manifesting that you're offended? Anger? Well, for Aquinas, no. Okay. Offense is something different. Uh, so we'd have to work more on that. You see, we've taken from the Aristotelian tradition and the Anselmian tradition the idea that God is infinitely uh, offended, he's thus infinitely irritated, he does need an infinite being to calm his anger so that his honor be restored, and that can only be uh, done by a god who happens to be a human because it's the humans that have done that. Well that logic you won't find in Aquinas. It's very interesting. And with this idea of pleasing God, uh, I won't do it with you tonight because I'm coming close to the end, uh, but I would suggest, I think it exists in English, that you go read, uh, if you have time, or just for your meditation, Aquinas' commentary on Psalm 50, on the passage where I offer my broken spirit. You'll have this idea that God, yes, is offended, but more like... Hmm. my kid didn't live up really to what I expected of it. And can I do something to help him do what I've made him to do? Uh, So it's not so much anger in the way that it's been portrayed with the violence that comes with it. Okay? Now, all this is very nice, and I want to conclude on the following point. There was only one real sacrifice, ever, that of Christ. Because you and I, on our own, we can't sacrifice ourselves for Aquinas. We can't devote ourselves for Aquinas. Because what is at the heart of offering yourself fully, fully engaging yourself, knowingly, consenting, preparing yourself for that, and that's to totally devote yourself to someone uh, in front of God, you need charity. Without the theological uh, aspect of charity, you can do great things and you can devote yourself, but it's, there's going to be still something, let's call that interested or strategic. Uh, the example of devotion for Aquinas are the two Roman generals who practice devotion. Uh, it's in question 92, article 1 of the second, uh, 82 of uh, the prima Secunda on uh, the article on devotion. And uh, so there will always remain something, but it's only with the grace of God where you can go as far as not just consenting to, but promptly being prepared to offer yourself for others. And that's the model for our clients. And so the full sacrifice, the real sacrifice can only mean that there is a totally devoted soul, a totally devoted soul requires the supplement to speak like Derrida of charity. Okay. Which means that you and I never fully are devout, devout, or we are incapable of really sacrificing, offering something. Which means that we can live that joyfully, and that would be the virtue, the virtuous act of, of that. Now I'll get back to uh, Derrida and company in a minute to conclude. But refusing the impossibility, attempting to complement what we can't do because we're defective, leads to all of the perversions you can imagine of sacrifice, where I'll abuse people, where I'll, there'll be violence, I'll, I'll make sure there's uh, suffering, etc., and there's no end because it cannot be achieved. And this takes us, and very interestingly, someone like Jean-Luc Nancy and Derrida will end up saying will radicalize, basically, Kierkegaard. They'll say the real, true sacrifice is impossible. Human beings never can really do that. There's always economy, there's always profit, there's always suffering, there's always some perversion. And even when there's good coming from it, because we do things, I mean, the the devotion of a mother for a child and things like that, we never know if there is grace, at least Dominicans... We say we don't know, we can't be sure, Uh, I'll leave the security and assurance of that for the Jesuits' theology. Uh, So the the, the postmoderns, the most deconstructive people, have gone back to put their finger on an intuition that you find in Aquinas, and that kind of disappears afterwards, theologically and otherwise. Sacrifice becomes something you organize, you orchestrate, institutionalize, and you build people up on that, but in terms of suffering, taking things out, etc., etc., without really the joyful offering for others of oneself, truly.